So, Ethan, everybody, and welcome to the Glory Glory podcast. I am not your regular co-host, and I am joined by not a regular guest. So, tonight is the very first of the Glory Glory My United podcast takeovers, and tonight it's being taken over by the Nugents. So, Chris Nugent and my cousin Matthew Nugent. So, welcome to the podcast, guys. I uh, hope you enjoy listening. Um, Kyle, I uh, hope you enjoy listening to this too. Um, and yeah, we'll uh, we'll plenty to talk about. It's been a pretty busy busy week or two for Man United. So without further ado, I think we'll we'll get cracking. Um, so as I say, I'm a regular guest on the show, Chris Nugent, a lifelong Manchester United fan, and I'm joined by my cousin Matthew, um, also a lifelong United fan. How's it going, Matthew? Great to What's see you. Crack? Good to have you on. Not too much. Yes, good to see you. How you keeping? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. And yourself? I can't complain. I mean, we've just signed Varane and Sancho, so definitely can't complain. Yeah, it's not bad, is it? You know, you know, as transfer windows goes, it hasn't been too bad. Yeah, seen a lot of people saying it's the best one in a few years, and can't seem to argue with that at all. I definitely can't argue that at all. Yeah, um, you know, as a Man United fan, uh, you kind of got you. We kind of got a wee bit spoiled at one stage, I think, and we got used to having good transfer windows. But um, it's been a long time. Like, I can remember that we really had one that was said, "Yes, we're signing top top class players here." So it's nice to see those days coming back, and hopefully they're going to continue. Um, yeah, so the first one in, or, or should I say the most recent one in, and uh, for me, um, Sancho, great, great signing, but Varane, um, in some ways, potentially overshadows that. Absolutely massive um, player uh, and massive reputation, um, well-established. is uh, one at all, really. So, uh, yeah, it only, can only be good news. Yeah, what, what do you think yourself? The fact that he's won more Champions League than our club has is pretty much a good sign. It's annoying, but it's a fact. Like, <laughs> it's a shame. It's, it's, you, you want to get more Champions Leagues, but then you're up in his and he's still staying above us. Mm. Um, so I think he solidifies the entire team. He's that jigsaw piece that we needed. I think you, you look at everyone talking about the, the fact that we're having to play two defensive midfielders with McDominay and Fred. Do you need to do that if you've got that defensive cover? Because Maguire always pushes forward anyway. Varane's going to be there to sweep, similar to what he done at Madrid with Ramos, because Ramos was notorious for drifting forward. Yeah, He had Casemiro in front of him, of course, but if you have McTominay or even just Fred, you've still got somebody there. Varane's incredible. He's one great, of the best. That's a great point, actually, Mafia. And to be honest, you know, I think I think you make a really good point there, because how often was it talked about last season? In fact, I think Ole, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer himself at one point referred to the back five, mm-hmm. you know, which told, which told you that, or the back six, or um, whatever, you know, they told you that, that he was mm-hmm. playing those two whole midfielders, seeing them really as defenders, you know, an extension of the defence, showing that, that he himself, you know, felt that there was weaknesses there. And like mm-hmm. you say, you know, having somebody like Varane in there just to, to solidify things, won't just hopefully shore up us defensively. It'll hopefully make us freer, you know, like you say, going forward. So, you know, he might have an impact behind him, you know, and then the defensive line and also in the attacking line. Um, mm-hmm. That could only be a good thing because in my opinion, um, there was times last season where we were predictable going forward. You know, it was all too obvious what we we're going to do, you know, go down the flanks. Um, and when we go try to go through the middle, if there was no space, it was just a shut up shop. Mm-hmm. And we were so easy to defend against. So like you said, hopefully um, what he will bring is uh, a few more options. Um, so it can only be good. Yeah, 100%. The thing with it is, is with Sancho signing on top of Varane, it is the two jigsaw pieces to the point. I've seen everyone talking about the fact that we need a number six. We need a defensive midfielder. I feel like with the positional spots that we have now just filled, it spreads the pitch more. We were very one-dimensional, as you said there as well. We were always focusing play down the left. I can't remember the exact percentage, but near certain we were top of the league for play down the left-hand side. Because you were always pushing through Shaw or always pushing through Rashford or even Cavani would drift to the left. Pogba drifts to the left. Bruno drifts to the left. It's all very one-dimensional. With Varane being a right-sided centre-half and Sancho being a right-winger, it's open on a lot more play. The fact that we're looking at Trippier clearly shows that Ollie's looked at this and went, we're clearly weak on the right. We need players who play to the right. It spreads the play out. I hate to say it, but City do it very well. I really do hate the set because you've go right stick two men and Raheem and Sterling. You're saying it as well, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's but it's completely true. You're totally right. It's 100 percent true. Because if you stick two men on Rashford, 
he's covered. He's out of the game. There's nothing they can do. So then you just go, right, well, who's next? In pro- who's our next troublemaker? Bruno. Stick two men on Bruno. We can't put any play down the right because Mason's drifting to the left. Cavani's drifting to the left. It's all oversaturated. There's no movement to play. Yeah. If you go and look at, oh, he really do hit Senate, but if you look at City, Sterling's going to play left, Mares is going to play right, De Bruyne down the middle. Yeah. If you stick two men on one, there's a big gap in the middle, more spaces there. That's what I look at with it now. Cavani creates space up top. He's going to stay central. Rashford's going to create space on the left. Sancho creates space on the right. It's just open. Varane does it at the back in the same way that Sancho's going to do it up top. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot more space to work with. Whereas than Varane's, it's a lot less space for everyone else to work with because he's that damn fast. Yeah, he's brilliant. No, he's supply. <clears throat> no, you're totally, you're you're 100 right. And again, you know, anybody listening to, listens to this podcast will have heard, you know, Kyle and I and and Nigel and the guys talking about exactly the same thing last season. Like you said, completely mm-hmm. one dimensional, too obvious. And uh, you know, set aside um, some time, we'll chat about uh, right back specifically later on. Um, but talking about you know, the right hand side versus the left hand side, my a personal criticism for me last season often was that Juan Basaka was a little bit. Uh, limited in, in his ability going forward. Now, towards the end last season, I think he was improving a wee bit there, and I hope he continues to. Um, and I think, you know, uh, we'll maybe come on to it and chat about, you know, potential of Trippier or, or, or whoever else might come in or who else might play there. Um, but like you said, Mafia, I think that's another reason why we were limited down that right-hand side. But once mm-hmm. again, you know, Sancho coming in is absolutely great news because it gives us those top class options on both sides which which if for no other reason makes us less predictable and that just makes us more difficult to play against so that can only only be a positive um mm-hmm. so then so that was the big question then really is Brown's coming in he's absolutely brilliant like you said he's going to bring all these uh he's going to bring all these these new options he's uh, he's a bit of a rose royce of a defender really mm-hmm. and he's won a lot so the question is then who's he going to partner i mean is it is it obviously Maguire or is there any debate about that or what like what do you think what, what do you think we should do it feels pretty obvious that it's Maguire. Maguire, statistically, was one of the best defenders in world football last year. I think the Euros proved that best, if I'm honest. Like, he looked, he made John Stones look good. Like, it takes a Rolls Royce of a player to make John Stones look good. Like, he carried that England back line. I, anyone that knows me knows I'm very critical of Luke Shaw. I'm not his biggest fan, but I have to be honest, attacking wise, he's elite very clearly. But I think Luke Shaw's defensive cover is uh, like atrocious. He never, when he does track back, he looks lost. He looks like he's never been in left back before. He that's plays more point. like a left a wing point. back. I think that's a fair point. And that's why you see Maguire, you'll see Shaw drift forward. Maguire drift left into almost left back, but not quite, which then means you're a big gap here and a big gap here, which then means Lindelof needs to drift inside, which then means Wambasaka has to drift inside, and you're left lopsided in defense. Yeah. Um, so I think if you have Varane to cover that and control that back line, I think it covers a lot more space. With Lindelof being not the greatest in the air and not a good tackler, Maguire's also not a good tackler no. at all. He's a, he's a ball-progressing centre-half. Yeah, no, completely. And, and, and that's the thing. I mean, um, you know, Varane himself gets forward on, on occasion, you know, not mm-hmm. on, on occasion, and he's on the ball. So I guess any interesting question then there is, again, just like you say, you know, you know, is one of them going to go forward? Is one of them going to sit? You know, mm-hmm. if you're looking at in terms of pace, you know, getting forward and back, you'd probably say, well, I'd rather have Varane getting forward again back because he's a bit quicker. But then Maguire, like you say, you know, he is a ball progressing centre back and he does it quite well, actually. Sometimes he's not great at always getting back, although he's, his pace is probably underrated. You know, I'm sure he's not yeah. dead slow and stop. Yeah. He's not as quick as some other defenders like Varane. Um, mm-hmm. But it's interesting then who's going to be who's going to be the one. But but I think you bring up a fair point about Luke Shaw. Um, and, and I remember you know or, yeah you know there's been a lot of chat about him recently. The great Euros and at times last year he's brilliant. And going forward he, he he's been brilliant for a long time. And, mm-hmm. and again on this podcast you know Kyle and I were, and we always give him a lot of praise. But you're right you know there was a lot of times I remember criticizing his defensive movement and his positioning mm-hmm. as much as you know uh, putting the tackles in or not. And so again, then I guess the question is, so, you know, what is our ideal defense then, Matthew? You know, who do you think? So if we've got Maguire and we've got Varane there, what, who, who should we go with? You know, is it yeah. on the left, Wambasak on the right? You know, what, what, what do you think the best way is for them to complement each other across the back line? So you're definitely going to love this. I look at the ideal back line and the ideal back four as a Gary Neville, which is a defensive fullback who can play progressive passes, a fast covering center half, a yeah. progressive center half, 
and an attacking wing back. Either way, it doesn't really matter either side. So a Patrice Evra, a Rio Ferdinand, a Nemanja Vidic, and a Gary Neville. That's how I look at it as an eye little back four. I think Wambasaka as a right back is a very good tackler, similar to Gary Neville, who can play good short progressive passes. I think Maguire is a very good powerhouse center half, which is similar to Vidic. Vidic was obviously a lot better. Yeah. Varane looks up the Rio Ferdinand. Rio mm-hmm. Ferdinand is Varane's idol. Yeah. Rio Ferdinand, I don't know if you know this, but Rio Ferdinand texted Rafael Varane three weeks ago mm-hmm. asking what the crack with the United move was to see okay. if it was happening. And Varane just sent back the eyes emoji. Okay. Three weeks ago. I might have heard the story, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know it. Okay. That's so he massively looks up to him. And then Luke Shaw is a left wing back in the same way that Patrice Ever was. Patrice Ever joined from Monaco as a left wing back. And yeah. Fergie developed him into a slightly better defensive force, but still elite going forward. Yeah. So you look at that back four and it's it's a Fergie back four. Yeah, no, it definitely is. I think, I think, no, I think you make a really fair point. And actually, it's a really good comparison that I've never really heard anybody give before. But you're, it's a very good, uh, good point, Matthew, because, yeah, I guess when you think about it, you know, player for player and you look at some of our best. And we've been really lucky, I think, with centre back parents, particularly that we always, you know, got it right, you know, from Pallister and Bruce, you mm-hmm. know, uh, Rio and Vidic, you know, and you had Stam in there and uh, Ronnie Johnson and stuff. We've always had great defensive, defensive parents. Um, mm-hmm. And you're right, and actually, you know, you're right. You're right with that analogy. Yeah. You know, Gary Neville, I could see a little bit of Gary Neville and Wamasaka. Um, I think Wamasaka is a bit more athletic than Gary Neville. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. going to be, be a positive. And, and, and funnily enough, if you look to the other side, I would say that it looks sure, at least to look at him, doesn't look or seem quite as athletic as ever was. So I guess you got a bit of a trade off there. Yeah. You've got more athletic on the right, leave it less on the left. Um, but all in all, yeah, no, I think that's a good analogy. Um, so I guess then the next question then is, um, you know, and talking about people coming in and people not coming in. So you mentioned Trippier there. Um, and also we, we know that Dallow has just come back from AC Milan. Um, although there's chat about him potentially not staying. Um, mm-hmm. I, I didn't actually see the game last night, but I don't think he had a great game. Uh, I think he got about a half. I don't know if, you, if you've seen the game or not. But I, I missed that I was, at, I was at work, but I, I think he only got like 30, 35 minutes. And the second goal was apparently his fault uh, pretty much entirely. Which brought it back to a draw, which is, you know, if you're going to concede a goal, it's not the one you want to concede. No, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, so it's not good for him. And then Brandon Williams, and I, and I quite like Brandon Williams. He's, he's a young guy, but I think he's very good. Got a lot of great yeah. attributes. He's quite quick. He's tenacious in a tackle. You know, he's not afraid of anybody. He gets forward, he gets back. Um, but a young guy with a lot to learn. And I've heard that he's potentially going to, potentially looking to go out on loan somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess then the question is, um, is, is it just going to be Wan-Bissaka or is Trippier going to come in? And if Trippier does come in, is he coming in? I mean, he's 30 years of age, you know, not saying he's past his peak, he's not at all. Um, mm-hmm. Is he coming in as cover for, or is he coming in for Wan-Bissaka? Would he come in as a half and half, you know, maybe to play, um, to give him a rest or, you know, or, or, or you know, what, what, or is he coming in to take over? Is Wan-Bissaka going to take a backseat? Um, somewhere in the middle, maybe. I really, I think it could be a balance of, 20 games each I, I really really do everyone talks about Trippier and how good he is going forward and how he's a wee bit defensively weak he's putting up 2.2 tackles a game Wambasaka puts up 2.6 so there's really not that much difference in their tackle numbers Wambasaka obviously is hitting those last ditch the last ditch uh, slide tackles it makes it look far better say, they look dramatic they look nice to get you off yeah. your speed you go oh what a tackle yeah yeah I totally agree. So, like, it sounds a lot better. He's even, interceptions-wise, Wambasaka is getting 1.8. Trippier is at 1.4. Statistically, they're not that different. Trippier is, like, noticeably better going forward, though. So, do you look at that and you go... That's the trade-off, isn't it? Yeah, maybe it is 20 games a season each. Because Mm -hmm. Trippier is going to do better against your your Burnleys. I know he played for them, but he's going to do better against that where you're going to have to just overload and attack for to try and break down their eight-man defense that they've built. Um, like He's going to be better then. Wambasak is going to be better against your Liverpool or your City that are going to try and progressively overload you. Yeah. Wambasak is going to hopefully sit in his position. He's really notorious for drifting inside into that centre-half role. Again, as I said before, I don't know if that's because Luke Shaw's pushing up, Maguire drift across, everyone drifts across. Yeah. It might not be. He did do it in the QPR game in the friendly there. Um, he got caught sleeping because Axel to Enzebi pushed central he pushed central then got caught at the back post he's really notorious for it Trippier I can't say I've seen that 
And so again, it's a good point. And and just when you're saying that, you know, coming back again, you know, the, the things that were, that we saw a lot of last season, like you said there, you know, we always notice in the games against the cities and the Liverpool's, you know, particularly against City, if I remember, Raheem Sterling was virtually in Wambasaka's back pocket for most of the games. It, it was always great to see and always thought, oh, what a you know, what a defender he is. But like you said, we didn't get forward much. But then in those games, you know, perhaps we were only having short breakaways because they were dominating possession. Mm-hmm. And it was the games against your Burnleys or, you know, your sort of lower, um, lower, you know, middle to bottom of the league teams. Um, not that they're not good sides because they obviously are, that were mm-hmm. sitting back against us. And interestingly, Matthew, that would indicate, like you said, that perhaps Trippier, if he came in, would be coming in for some of those sort of mm-hmm. lower games where we need more, you know, a bit more dynamic uh, play going forward um, and, and bringing Mombasak in, you know, to sort of do a job um, in the bigger games. Um, which mm-hmm. is slower on him at all. So yeah, so it's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting. And um, there's certainly there's certainly a lot of options. Um, yeah, there's certainly. And speaking of the right hand side, then uh, we can't go any further without talking about Sancho. Sign of, of the season, seventy three million. Uh, the big money. Um, it's been long and drawn out. Although actually, in fairness to United, and I've criticised them a lot the last couple of years about uh, transfer windows. But actually, they waited this one out, and it looks like they maybe have got a little bit of a of a better deal. Mm-hmm. So fair play to them. We can't really can't really argue, and uh, better late than never, I suppose. Um, so yeah, what's your reaction to him? I I, I seen a tweet, and it was uh, I can't remember who it was that put it out, but it was something to do with we got Sancho and Varane this season on combined less than what Dortmund wanted last year for Sancho alone. Yeah, and I was like, that that you can't deny that that's a good bit of business. No, of course we went a year without Sancho, but. Let's be honest, we weren't going to win the league this year anyway. I love the idea of it. It was a lovely couple of months. I stuck a tenner on it as a bet. It was great, right? I would have won a grand if it came through. It was wonderful. <laughs> it never happened. It was never going to happen. says it all. A grand from a tenner tells you what our chances were really like, yeah. doesn't it? You know, Because, yeah. yeah, it was inevitable that we weren't going to win the league last year. We got second place, which was good. We now can progress on that and challenge. With Sancho and Varane, with the money saved, we got Varane. Let's be honest, that's what happened there. Because yeah, no. we couldn't have spent 110, 120 million last year and then still got a Varane. That never would have happened. Because yeah, you've seen no. it with the Glazers before, where you go in for a, a Di Maria, yeah. that type of player. You spend big, you give big wages, and then you go, right, okay, we've got a, two transfer windows and nothing now. Yeah, you've seen it happen a million times over, and having and having too often, and not only having too often, but how many times recently have we got the big names and been absolutely stung? Mm-hmm. You know, it's looked like the clubs have seen us coming. Di Maria was a good example. Sanchez from Arsenal was another good example. You know, he wasn't Falcao. wasn't the same money. Yeah, Falcao was another one. Depay, arguably, although he's he's mm-hmm. tried to be a good player, and I always thought Depay, you know, there, there was a lot of good attributes about him, but. How many times that happened to you, right? It's good that for once we've got the big names, we've got the big players, and we're not throwing you know the kitchen sink at them to kind of get them. So, no, completely agree. As that's just the financial side of it, as an actual player perspective, there's it's incredible how we've got Sancho. Sancho is second in uh key passes and progressive play on the right side, actually, I think on both wings uh, in the world, second to Messi because Messi's not human. That's just incredible. And it also beg- begs the question, Not I know we're not here to talk about England, but how did that guy not Don't even him in that Euros? I, 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 I was in London for that final and everyone in the bar that we were sitting in was just looking, going, they need to bring on Rashford or Sancho. I'm sitting beside a guy that's from Leeds who's a City fan. Right. And he's going, how are they not bringing on Sancho or Rashford? The guy's a City fan from Leeds, um, and he's he's recognizing the fact that our players are clearly better than what's on the pitch. He wanted, he had said, take Kane and Saka off for mm-hmm. Sancho and Rashford because they're very clearly better. That would have been a good shout. It would have been a good shout. Yeah, I, I I can't argue that, and I can't. I just I can't understand why he didn't get a game. I mean, you know, okay, you know, I. I get what Southgate did. And let's be honest, they got to the final. And he, so he obviously did something right tactically. Fair play to him. I'm not going to argue that. Mm-hmm. Sancho was so good on the ball. Like you said, and Rashford, you know, as great a player as Kane is, I don't think Kane was fully fit for that Euros, to no. be honest. And Rashford, or a bit Rashford, I don't think was fully fit either. But Rashford is a younger player. He's got he's got the legs. Um, yeah, I can't. But you know what? At the end of the day, like I say, we're not here to talk about England. Um, you know, whatever happened, happened. I just hope he does it for United this season. 
um, and the signs are looking pretty good. So then the thing is, uh, Matthew, so, you know, obviously what we had last season was we had Cavani up front, absolutely unbelievable. We had Rashford normally on the left again, you know, absolutely brilliant, you know, running in behind, pace, you know, threatening defences. On the right-hand side, as always, where we've been weak, so you can see why Sanchez came in. Well, when I say weak, we've had options. You know, Martial sometimes played or played up front. I was very critical of Martial. I don't think he was great. Uh, Greenwood, for me, is an absolute worldly in the making, and he mm-hmm. did play on the right. And I guess that's my only question now is, what does it mean for Greenwood that, that Sancho's come in? I I really don't think this. I'm trying to be nice about it. I think it it doesn't change it at all. I think it means absolutely nothing. Okay. I think Mason is destined to play in striker. I don't think Mason should be anywhere near that right wing. He's notorious for drifting central, which is the reason that we're lacking in that right wing. We don't have a playmaker on that right side. Everyone's it's the same as as I said earlier on. Mason's going to drift central, which is technically left from where he's supposed to be playing. It's everyone's drifting in the same direction. It's like there's a big wind blowing us to that flag. <laughs> it's crazy. So I think it doesn't have anything to do with it. You see Cavani taking him under his wing. You see it in the, was it the Roma? What, which game was that? I think it might have been the Milan game where somebody started on Mason and Cavani was straight over. Yeah, I think it might have been Milan. I can't quite remember, but yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And you see Milan. Cavani taking him under the wing. And I think that's more than just a, I like this player. I think it's more of a, I can see you stepping into my boots when I leave. Yeah. No, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. And again, yeah, you know, uh, remembering back the conversations we had last season, um, yeah. the same thing. I mean, there, there's one thing I am absolutely sure of, and that's even with Cavani at the club. I still think that Mason Greenwood is the best out-and-out finisher that we have at the football club. I really do believe that. Left foot, right foot, he always, nearly always finds the corner. He hits him low. He hits him hard. He does. It's like textbook. It's everything you would yeah. think a, a striking coach would tell you to do. He hit it low and into the corner. And that's what he does on both sides. No, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, I guess my only question really for this season then is, um, is game time for Greenwood, you know, Yes, you're right. I think he's better as a striker. And I think naturally, you know, way things are going the right way. Will he get much game time, though? I mean, uh, you know, Cavani is going to be number one, you would think. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, yeah. Cavani's extended age maybe means that he will. Um, do you think he will get much game time up front? Or where? how do you think that will pan out for Greenwood? I, I really do find it that I just don't think Ollie trusts Martial up top. I really, I don't know what it is. Even in the season, not last year, but the year before, he wasn't convinced. Martial done well, but I still don't think Ollie was convinced. Because it, it was still, you don't hear talks of, we're going after Haaland, we're going after so-and-so. Like, we're, you wouldn't go out after six strikers if your striker's getting 20 goals a season and you're convinced by that, that it's going to consistently happen. You don't hear that. So I look at it as the front three starting this season in ideal is Rashford, Cavani and Sancho. I think your backups in those positions is Martial being back up to Rashford on the left. Yeah. I think the, in the way that he came through under Van Hal, because uh, that's where he was played. And he does play on the left a lot. No, no, I can understand that, yep. Maybe Dan James in the right as cover for Sancho. I'll be honest, I'm not a big fan. I think maybe Ahmad actually looks a bit better. So maybe him as cover for Sancho. But again, it's depth. It's not a bad thing that you have too many options. Yeah. And then up front, I think Mason's the backup. I don't look at Martial as the backup at all. I think it's the same as the Trippier Wambasaka conversation. 20 games each, Mason and Cavani. I don't think Martial has anything to do with that striker spot anymore. I could be completely wrong, but that's just how I, I look at it as Ollie doesn't seem convinced. No, I think you're absolutely right. And if I'm if I'm totally honest with you, and again, people listening to the podcast won't be surprised to hear this, I am not remotely convinced by Martial. Um what we did uh, what we did uh, through most of the games last season, Mafia. Um I'm sure you listen to some of the podcasts. Of course. Obviously not them all, but what we did is generally after every game we would have uh, we would give player ratings. And it's rare I it's rare I ever give Martial anything over about a five, and that's even if he scored. He was I I just is everything about him just didn't convince me. Hasn't done for a long time. So yeah, I I do not see him as remotely a long term option. In fact, if I'm honest, I think that um he's one of the potentials to leave. Um, if not if not in this transfer window, I think is I think his days are numbered. Really, I wouldn't um, be against it. If he left, I wouldn't be sad. No, um. So speaking about people who, in my opinion, I would still I wouldn't be sad if they leave. Uh, that brings us on to the big story of who's potentially going to leave, or will they leave? Will they not leave? And mm-hmm. uh, that's the obvious Paul Pogba. Um, yeah. So first question before I even uh, before I'm even going to ask you if you think he's going to leave, I'm going to ask you: Would you be happy if he left, or would you be sad? I 
don't know. I'm really, really stuck in the middle with it. Similar to Paul Pogba's play style, I'm really inconsistent on my thoughts on this. <laughs> I, I don't, I look at it and I'm like, Paul Pogba on his day is the best midfielder in world football in the fa- past, say, 10, 15 years. The man could put on a dominating performance and you're like, that guy is elite. Like, I don't know how he does it. I can't remember, there was a game this season where he just, I think he scored, got an assist and just run the midfield. But then there's the next game, like literally the next game, it was like he wasn't on the pitch. Yeah, He's really inconsistent that way. And I think my emotion on Paul Pogba is exactly the same. Of I look at it and I'm like, I'd be upset. But I'd also be like, eh, if we get somebody else, I'm not that angry. If we go after somebody like a, a Sal Niguez or something, I'd be like, I'm probably more consen- uh, convinced by the consistency mm. than I am a once-in-a-while elite performance. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to disagree with that. Like you say, you know, there's games he's virtually won on his own. Mm-hmm. And there's other games where he literally, you could have brought on the tea lady and she would have done the same job. Or you could have brought me on and I would have yeah. done the exact same job. You know what I mean? Lying on the pitch and not actually moving and he would have done the same amount that he does in some games he plays. is so ridiculously, like, ridiculously inconsistent. The only question that I have about Pogba, and I thought about it a wee bit, you know, in terms of games that he plays for France and the games he used to play for Juve, and it's not new news, but, you know, again, you know, he played fairly well some games for France during the Euros. And it just brought the same question back to me. Is it a case of pub and needing certain types of players around him and that's not to say that we should cater to that but you know is that what it is with Pogba you know will Pogba be one of these players who leaves Man United goes to you know a PST or or another club say he goes back to Juve or something like that or Madrid and has great players around him does he become that player on a weekly basis that he is for France and will we be going why do we not see that player you know is that what's going to happen is it players around him or is it just him or is it I think it is the players around him I seen I can't remember who it was was talking about it it might have been uh, Mohamed Bahafsi he was talking about how um, Pogba for France looks unbelievable because he's given that range he's given that freedom Yeah, but you can't do that at United because we're currently playing as, as a six alongside Fred who's notorious for giving the ball away Exactly. Pogba's notorious for giving the ball away, but at France level, he's got N'Golo Kante beside him. Guess who's going to get the ball back immediately? Exactly. They're going to cover for that weakness. Um, there, there's a massive difference between Fred and N'Golo Kante, and it's noticeable. I look at Paul Pogba, and I look at one midfield that I can think of in world football that I'm like, he would be elite in it, maybe two. Real Madrid with a Casemiro behind him, and Leicester. Okay. You stick Wilfred and Didi beside Paul Pogba, you have a different gravy, Paul Pogba. That man bangs every tackle. Like he has the highest tackles every season in the last three years, I think, in the top five leagues. Okay. Only Aaron Wambasaka and Golo Kande, and weirdly this season, Eduardo Camavinga being close to him. That's interesting. Just don't say that too loudly because Leicester might try and buy him. <laughs> they can't afford him. <laughs> they couldn't pay his wages. No, I know. <laughs> they might try and buy him. Is his uh? ego would let him go to Leicester anyway? You know, yeah, I don't think it would. No. He'd, he'd start trying to take Brandon Rogers' job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't put a I wouldn't put a puzzle. Uh, yeah, no, that's very interesting. I think I think um, I think you make I think you make great points, there, Matthew. Um, so get so that brings me on to the question then: of is he going to leave? Do you think he's going to leave, or or, or will he be there next season? I really don't know. So I, I was convinced he was gone. I was convinced he was going to PSG, and it was a uh, right. Donny's going to get his time to shine. I was hundred percent. And then I seen the banners in PSG from the PSG fans. And then I seen the photo of David Beckham with him today. And now I'm really unsure. Yeah. yeah I just no, don't I know. This, I, see, I didn't see the photo of Beckham today, actually, but I did see the banner of PSG yeah. fans. I thought, oh, that, that's definitely that deal off. Um, and yeah, but yeah, but I, I don't know. I mean, who else signs him other than PSG? Real Madrid aren't spending money for whatever reason. They're just not. There's not really anybody spending really big money. I mean, even United, you could argue after what we bought, like mm. you just said, we got a bargain. We're not really spending money. We're not, you know, splashing ridiculous amounts of money. Um, but you know, a COVID has mm. kind of had an impact on that. And you're right, Matthew. You know, I'm not hearing a lot of talk about Madrid signing big names uh, or Barca or anybody really. So yeah, to be fair, he looks like the only place he's going, doesn't it? Barcelona are in over a billion of debt they shouldn't be signing anyone they had to wait until they got somebody off their wage bill to confirm Depay could join like that's a that's a fact like they signed Depay a month and a half ago and had to wait until two weeks ago until they could actually announce it because they had to get somebody off their wage bill 
not great, is it? It's not a good sign for a club. They could definitely go bankrupt. It really doesn't look good for yeah. them. So they can't sign Pogba on a 400k away contract. We can just about afford it. Never mind them. We're not in the best financial situation, but we're doing better than Barcelona. No, I think that I think that's absolutely true. And I, in fact, um, again, we're not here to talk about Barcelona as such, but mm, uh, I of do they, they should let uh, Messi go because you know they, they could do with getting rid of his wages and getting the money for him. Um, but yeah, but that's a another debate for another day, another yeah. podcast, arguably. Um, but yeah, yeah. So yeah, so Paul Pogba. And so the other one that, that I, I sort of thought, um, yeah, interestingly, is Martial. And mm-hmm. yeah, there you know, Martial seems to be another potential casualty in this transfer window. <sighs> Um, there's talk about him going is he going to go again do you want him to go I know how I feel which is I'd be more than happy to see him go um, will he go if he goes he goes I'm really I wouldn't be upset either way to be honest I wouldn't be sad if he if he stayed I wouldn't be against it either way he is uh, clearly got a level of talent and some level of work ethic but can he do it on the big stage I don't know I really I, I'm not fully convinced if you can get 40, 45 million for him and get his 120, 150k a week wages off the off the wage bill and bring in somebody who's going to suit the system a lot better, go and do it. You've got lads like Anthony Alanga and Ahmad and Dan James all coming through who are probably going to put the work in harder because they want that 120, 150k a week contract. Absolutely, yeah. And young Shura Thierry, he's another player I like to look Of course, up. yeah. He's, yeah. he's very good. He's a great young player. Um, you know, no, completely. I mean, I've talked... I've talked to death about Martial on this podcast. I really have, and everything that I think about him, and he's a, he's for me, he's arguably the biggest disappointment of my United in a long time, and I, and that's even including you know Falcao and Di Maria and Sanchez because uh, Martial came to United as a young lad. He was nineteen. He the world at his feet. He has got all the ability. Everybody that talks about him, you know, you name it, whoever talks about him, Henri and all these other top players say how great he is ability wise. But for some reason, he just doesn't have that hunger to just go and take a game by the scruff that the likes of Ronaldo has and Messi has and, you know, Zanan had and all these, you know, Kane and Beckham and all these great players. He just doesn't have that. He's got that ability, doesn't have the hunger, doesn't have the hunger Fernandez has. Um, and I find that so frustrating. Um, so for me, if he went, I wouldn't be disappointed. There's, there's only so many stats you can look at and the eye test always does everything justice. And with Martial, the eye test is what everyone notices. It's not the, oh, well, then they got like two goals in the league this year or four goals in the league, whatever it was, I can't remember. Um, but it's not, it's not the problem. If he got four goals and he impressed and looked good and was progressing play and making everyone else work around him, you'd be like, all right, fair enough. I don't care that he only got four goals because he let Rashford have an extra five or he let Mason have... It was nothing like his progressive work wasn't there. He looked lazy. It, it feels harsh to say that he looked lazy, but he, he did. He didn't move. You look at Cavani, who is an out and out number nine and an elite number nine of the last 10 years. His positional play in the box is unbelievable. He tracks back and defends. Cavani puts up, I think, 12, 13 passes a game, which sounds really low, but for a striker who's supposed to be playing as a number nine, all he needs to be doing is a bang one-two move. And 13 passes a game on average for an out-and-out number nine is unbelievable. Martial, you don't see that from him. You don't see him getting other players involved. No, absolutely not. I mean, um, yeah, I remember the Europa League final, and this is a thing that uh, Kyle will like me mention because he talks about this all the time. It was whenever, um, what I called, uh, Cavani was tracking back and he actually overtook Pogba on his mm-hmm. way from the back to the front of the pitch. And I said plenty about Pogba. Um, but it also said plenty about Cavani, you know, and how hard that guy works. Uh, and, that, and actually, that's probably the thing that has impressed me the most about Cavani since he signed. You know, um, he's a great striker. His movement's great. His finishing's great. Um, but what's impressed me the most is that a guy of his age, like you said, he's a he's almost a kind of a traditional number nine, a kind of a target man, is that he, he doesn't play like a target man. He busts himself to get up and down the pitch. He puts himself about. He wants to be involved. And that is nearly as, as more impressive. And, and ironically, that's the thing that Martial lacks the most, yeah. um, is, is that attitude and that kind of, um, that ability to kind of, you know, to, to, to put the effort in. Um, mm-hmm. Which is a shame. So, Matthew, we talked before we came on the podcast, and you're—I know you're busting to get chatting about other potential signings, and you've done your homework. So, uh, myself and I'm sure the listeners will be extremely keen to hear your thoughts <laughs> on who else could and should be coming and going. So, go for it, Matthew. Let, let us hear. 
so you've seen us, uh, you've, you've everyone seen United linked to a million defensive midfielders. Like you name one, we've probably been linked to them at some point. As always. Kamavinga is, is one that's been massively touted. Kamavinga, uh, Goretzka and Declan Rice seems to be the main three everyone's talking about. Weirdly, the Goretzka one, I just don't see happening. So I'm not going to lie to you. I'm probably not even going to talk about him. I think he's using this for a contract. I think he can just stay over there. He can stay at Bayern. It's clearly going to do him the world of good. I'd like him, but it's never going to happen. The person that I'd like, as previously said about Leicester, is somebody like an Ndidi. Kamavinga is a great alternative, though. Ndidi's going to cost you Harry Maguire money. Leicester aren't a selling club anymore. If you go to Leicester to buy, it's going to cost you a fortune, the same way it did with Harry Maguire. It's always the way, isn't it, too? You know, English club to English club, it is, there's always a bit of a premium. Of course, yeah. Right? And you've got the Manchester United tax as well, which exactly. doesn't make things any easier. Exactly. Because if, if you look at Ndidi's numbers, Ndidi is, it's, his numbers are a little bit tarnished this season compared to, to most because he's been playing actually in centre half from time to time this season, which obscures the tackle numbers and everything gets hit a wee bit. His passing numbers are different because he's in a different position to what he's used to. Mm-hmm. So you look at him compared to Kamavinga, he's put, Ndidi's putting up 3.7 tackles per game. That is elite numbers. Like nearly nobody gets near him. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Kamavinga at 18 in his first, uh, first full professional season, is a 2.8. That's big numbers. An 18-year-old, that's pretty darn good. If you look at United players, the highest tackle numbers we have in the squad outside of Aaron Wambasaka is Fred, who's putting up 2.7. And, and that's only because he has to keep trying to win the ball back. Yeah. In a way. yeah, so he'll pass it back and have to just charge at somebody and he's right beside him. He's, so, tack- he's technically tackling people that he's just passed it to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. So, like, you look at those tackle numbers, and that's what you need. If we're keeping Paul Pogba, you want somebody that's going to be sweeping. You want that in Golo Kante. We've talked about it before. Even if you look at his, his, his passing numbers, and, and Didi is not the player that you're going to want to be banging 60-yard passes. That's not what he does. That's not his thing. You're going to have to look at somebody like a, a Ruben Neves or a Sol Niguez. It's two different players. It depends what you want to go on and go after. i seen Mike Phelan on a, on a podcast recently talking about he doesn't recognize midfielders as a six and eight and a 10. He recognizes them as midfielders. So he doesn't look at Paul Pogba, Bruno Fernandes and Nemanja Matic as different players. He looks at them as midfielders, uh, which is to me is so obscure. Ollie apparently still looks at it this way. So even if you're, if you're looking at having a complete midfield, I always look at it as a six and eight and a 10. Indeed, he's a perfect six. But we've had it before. You've seen Paul Scholes and Michael Carrick absolutely spring passes from everywhere, open fields of play. It's unbelievable. So do you want to go down that route? Do you want to have a a number six who can spring a pass, but they're not an out-and-out tackler? Because if you're going away from that, you're going after somebody like a Ruben Neves. Now, if you look at his defensive numbers, it's surprisingly good for somebody of his player. He hits two tackles a game, 2.4 at at league level um, and two at national level. Um, but his passing range is unbelievable compared to Ndidi. I personally prefer the idea of Neves, and Wolves are apparently willing to let him go for 35 million, which okay. to me is an absolute bargain. No, that's quite reasonable for, yeah, he's definitely a top-class player. He's, yeah. he's, he's very much in the Carrick mould of a number six in a defensive midfield. The only worry you have is, is he viable enough in a single number six role? At Wolves, he's got three players behind him and that five at the back, so the numbers are going to be a little bit obscured. The thing with it is as well is you look at his contract. He's only contracted to 2024. That's going to be an easy, easy one to get him out of if Wolves are willing to get him out for 35 mil. Kamavingas is up at the end of the year. You could take a risk and go for both. Yeah, it's a good, it's a very good point. And interestingly, just as you're saying there, you know, talking about the type of player, you know, that, that, that we're looking for and you're comparing our, you know, number mm-hmm. eight, number 10, number sixes. Um, and I think, I think that's absolutely, you know, how you have to look on it is looking at what we have um, and what we need. So mm-hmm. as we referred, you know, come back to what we said at the start of the podcast, we're talking about, um, you know, having like a back five or a back six almost, you know, mm-hmm. because not feeling that we've got that strength in, in, in the centre backs. If we have Varane, we hopefully have that. We've been playing, you know, McFred for such a long time, McTominay and Fred together. Uh-huh. You know, does that McTominay for me is a very good player. I mean, I don't think he's a Rose Royce of a no. he's kind of a Roy Keane, but not quite the quality of a Roy Keane, in my opinion. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Very, very good. Um and uh, yeah, he's never been a specialist kind of, you know, holding no. midfielder as such. And Fred obviously isn't. I think he's he's a big weak link there. I think we can all agree on that. 
Um, so the question really is then is what is it that we need? Like I say, Matthew, you know, do we need that ball playing midfielder like, you know, Neves would maybe be yeah. Or is it somebody more defensively like Declan Rice who's going to be that specialist ball winner who's going to give the ball to Fernandez, you know, and let him take the ball forward? He's going to, you know, he's going to do the kind of the, 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 the dirty work, so to speak. You know, what what is it that we need, do you think? It really depends. You're, uh, you're probably hearing it as well that Ollie is apparently one to run a 4-3-3 this season, um, which is a little bit different to the 4-2-3-1. So there's rumours uh, going about that he's testing Aaron Wambasaka in centre half and a five at the back. Um, which would then allow Trippier or somebody as a right wing and then having Wambasaka to drift, which would then mean it would be two sixes again or maybe two eights. Um, there's also talk of him going as a 4-3-3, three, three, which would be a single six and then two roaming eights almost playing like tens. Mm. Um, so it depends on what system he goes for. So if he goes for the McFred system, mm. which is the two sixes and a ten, yeah. um, you're, you, you maybe go after Ruben Neves and Kamavinga if Pogba goes. You bring Kamavinga in as almost an eight, Ruben Neves is a six, but they're both playing as a double pivot. Yeah. Or if you're going to that four three three, you keep Paul Pogba and you go after just a Kamavinga or just an Ndidi for the sweep and cover for the fact that the two eights are Roman. Mm. It depends on what system he wants to go for this season. It really, really does. Yeah. Uh, and, and like you say, you make a good point. Because obviously, not only uh, do you want to have a system, but you want to have alternatives as well. Um, you know, so yeah, so so it's it's interesting to see uh, what Rudy goes at, goes down. Um, no, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, so um, yeah, so you know, so those are some potential coming ins. Um, so speaking of Ollie, um, Ollie himself has just been has just got a new contract in twenty twenty four. Um, so I know that Ollie divides uh, opinion and yeah. has been for quite a long time. Um, there's a lot of hardline Ollie outs. There's a lot of hardline Ollie ins. And then there's probably a lot of fans who drift between the two, maybe depend on results and different periods of the season. Um, I'm not going to flat out ask you which camp you're in, if you're in either camp, Matthew. Um, I've been fairly in the Ollie in give him time camp. Um, there are times I criticised them when I thought it was when I thought it was unavoidable, but generally I'm Ollie in. But regardless, it seems that uh, the club owners have decided to keep him. Uh, for one reason or another, um, do you think he deserves a new deal yourself, or how do you how do you feel? As you say, it always divides opinion. I'm massively Ollie in. The only time that I've ever been Ollie out was when we had a really bad string of results last Christmas, and everyone was kind of like, I think it was actually sorry the start of last season when we lost to Palace, and then it was like a draw here and there, and it didn't. It looked a wee bit ropey. But he turned it around and he, and he made us look fantastic at the end of that season to the point that I stuck a bet on us winning the league because I thought it could happen. Like, that level of hope hasn't oh, happened. You, <laughs> yeah, I think he has it. I think he might have that with a new contract. Because even under Jose, when we got the second place, did we really get second place? We Because under Ollie this season, we weren't going to win the league, but we looked far better than most of the teams in the league. Under Jose... We were noticeably second place, but we didn't really look that good. We looked okay. I, I think we're just definitely progressing more. We're bringing in, even though Varane's 28, of course, which is not young, but it's also definitely not old. He's no. coming into his peak. That's what you want. Rio Ferdinand was at his best at 29. Absolutely. Like, Totally agree. You want a mix. You don't want everyone being 19. You don't want that because it's it's you need a level of experience in there to keep everyone cool. Even in the, the old, you'll never win anything with kids line. There was experienced players within that squad oh, for to help the young players come through. And that's what you always need. You look at it now, you've got Rashford, who's what, 23, 24. You've got Sancho, who's 21, 22. Mason coming through at 19. You've got a lot of youth in there, but you also have a lot of leaders. You've got Cavani. You've got Varane, who Cavani is second to Varane in terms of uh, honours won in their career in the squad. Yeah. You've got these people who are going to go, right, I know you're having a rough patch of a few games, bring it back out. Yeah, and Fernandez, he hasn't won He hasn't won that much yet, but he's got that attitude too, yeah. doesn't he? 100%. I look at Fernandez as a, as a captain without the armband. He really is. Yeah, absolutely. Completely agree. Um, yeah, completely agree. No, I, I agree with everything you said there, Matthew. And I say, you know, anybody listening to the podcast and listening to me talk before will know that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of strong opinions, you know, on both sides. And I try to be reasonably diplomatic, but, you know, I generally... I'm all in. Um, I think that, I, I mean, I, I hate to say it, but I look across, um, you know, the club at Merseyside, and I don't think it's a coincidence that he's had time to build what he needs. 
and that's why he's been successful. Ferguson got that time as well. I know the football has changed, and you don't, you know, tra- traditionally now you don't get that time anymore. Yeah. Um, but I do think that we are re- starting to reap the benefits of Ollie being given mm-hmm. time and being able to shape the squad. Um, so in terms of the season, so like you said, there you know we finished last season second, but it looked like you know things were were going in the right direction to a point. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we even have a disappointing end of the season. You know, uh, coming second in the Europa League, um, by all intents and purposes, you would have put money on us to win that. Yeah, uh, quite pan out that way. Um, we got the quarterfinals of the FA Cup, um, and we got to the semi-finals of the of the um, the EFL Cup. So not not a disastrous season by any means, but definitely room for improvement. Do you, what do you think are going to be his aims for this season? You know, are we are we banning these players now? Thinking we're actually going to challenge for the league, or is that unrealistic? Or, or, or how do you think that's going to go? think it's very realistic i i think if, if you're not going in for a league title when you're going in and buying four-time champions league winner rafael varan and i think it's not that bad to say sancho probably the hottest prospect in world football right now yeah. outside of maybe mbappe and holland he's definitely in the top five best young footballers in, in world football mm-hmm. um if you're going after these players you're you're going for a league title you're not going in for a second place you're, you're going in and you're going all in mm-hmm. um you're going in to win every cup that you're involved in you're going in to win the league you're going in to win the champions league you're never going to win all four of them well it's possible but it's <laughs> it's unlikely um if you're going off of this you need more squad depth sancho and varan definitely do that yeah 100 no i, I think I, I think i totally agree with you i mean you know based on the fact that we haven't won the league since 2013 mm-hmm. uh, there's no season that i'm going into these days and saying we are going to win the league but i but definitely definitely Things have improved, mm-hmm. um, and those two players coming in are, are, like you say, you know, one of the best defenders in the world, um, and one of the hottest prospects in the world. Um, I guess it'll be interesting the fact that some point next season, hopefully sooner rather than later, we get fans back in the stadiums. That'll change the dynamic of the games, I think, a wee bit, and mm-hmm. um, it'll hopefully give all the players a boost. It'll make some games uh, easier, but it'll also make some games harder. You know, likes of going down field and stuff like yeah. that, traditionally difficult with the fans in. You know, we maybe benefit slightly from them not being there last couple mm-hmm. of years so, you know, or the last season or so. So it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. Um, I don't think it's unrealistic to think that we're going to, if we're not going to win the league, that we're going to at least be closer um, to, yeah. to City or Liverpool or whoever it happens to be that we're going to get closer. Um, but fingers crossed that, that we can do it, of course. I, um, I definitely, I think this season, I, I don't know if it's me just being a hipster mentality or whatever, but I think the two best shouts for the title this year are us and Chelsea. I, I don't even think it is City and Liverpool. I think Liverpool's very obviously on a decline. I think Jurgen done it at Dortmund where he just declined and nearly got them relegated and got himself sacked. And I, I think he's in that decline again. I could be optimism. Who knows? Oh, I- right. there's one there's one thing definitely is that I think Jurgen Klopp's brand of football is very hard to sustain over and Guardiola's both mm-hmm. types of football, high pressing, you know, high octane football, you can't sustain that forever. So I totally agree that there has to come a, a kind of a breaking point. Uh, hopefully sure. now is the breaking point. Um, I hope you're right, Matthew. Um, so does so does Thomas Tuchel, but he's coming through his boom period that Klopp's already experienced and Guardiola's already experienced. That's why I look at Chelsea as, as our biggest threat. I think that's a fair point. I think it's a very fair point. Absolutely. I think that's the city not buying anyone this season benefits us because the squad depth that we've talked about with us it's great that we're going out improving on our squad, like our title-winning squads always did. When we won a title under Fergie, when we went out and got Juan Sebastian Veron, we went out and got Yapstam. We improved on the squad that we already had, even though we were clearly the best. Yeah. City were clearly the best last season. And rather than going out and improving their squad, they're sort of dandering about looking at Harry Kane and kind of unsure. If they get Harry Kane, incredible stuff for them, wonderful. But it doesn't look likely, yeah. which I think puts us ahead of them, personally. No, hundred percent agree. I mean, if for no other reason, you know, and Ferguson himself used to always say, a scourge on any winning team is complacency, and and one of the one of the reasons to bring you know players in the tight winning team is not just to improve it from a, an ability perspective and an actual performance perspective. It's to keep the mentality. It's to keep the hunger. It's for players who have had a great season to say, well, there's now somebody else I have to compete with. I have to you know, do the same thing again, mm-hmm. if not do better, otherwise I'm going to lose my place. So no, I totally agree with you. It's definitely a weakness um, to not bring, uh, or definitely a mistake to not bring in new players. Um, and so it brings me on to uh, another um, bit of a debate. Um, and there's been a lot of, uh, you know, uh, versus 
uh, this player versus that player um, that we've talked about already. But I think one of the big ones that you can't we can't go past um, is De Gea versus Henderson. Um, so mm. interestingly, we've actually brought Tom Heaton in, and mm. Lee Grant has been given a new contract as well. I don't see Lee Grant playing many games, obviously. Um, but um, but it's interesting just the whole goalkeeper situation in general. Um, there was a lot of debate about the end of last season. My thoughts at the end of last season were that uh, Henderson was going to be the starter this season, and I think mm-hmm. rumors are that he is going to start uh, the first game of the season. I believe that's against Leeds. Um, yeah. But the head doesn't seem to be going anywhere, and I kind of thought that he would. Um, and obviously, he's on massive, massive wages. You don't want somebody like that sitting on the mm-hmm. bench all the time. So that debate um, is, you know, who, who is going to be number one this season, or is it going to be another Roy Carroll, uh, Tim Hart situation, <laughs> where they're going to literally do 50-50, as you yeah. said, you know, might happen with Trippier and Mamasak, etc. So, uh, you know, how do you think it's going to, how do you think it's going to play out? It's as as we've said with Mason and Cavani, it's never a bad thing having rotational options. It's not a bad thing at all. The problem that is is right now is that nobody's fully convinced with Henderson and nobody's fully convinced with De Gea. Yeah. With with Cavani and Mason, you're like, okay, one of them's elite and one of them's up and coming. Mm. One of the problem with the goalkeeping position is one of them was elite, Mm. and now we're a little bit unsure. Mm. Like. Can you work with it? Tom Heaton coming through, does he really get game time? I don't know. He looked really good against um, the the first friendly that we had there. I can't remember who it was against now. Um, He looked very good in the first half against it, and then we subbed Lee Grant on, and it was as if we stuck a child in that because Lee Grant might as well have not been there. He looked like he had not played football in years. That's because he hasn't. (laughs) (laughs) Also true. But what I've heard from Lee Grant is that he's on a coaching role. So he's not yeah, really there was, to play games. I've heard that Manny's doing number boards and everything at the end of last season. He's not there to play games. He's bringing the water on next and bringing <laughs> on the magic sponge or somebody gets injured. Yeah. He's just playing football manager at the side. He doesn't know what's going on. <laughs> he, uh, but yeah, I think it, I, I really don't think Tom Heaton is going to get a shout. He looked good in the 45 minutes against, uh, in the first friendly, he looked good in the 45 minutes against uh, QPR. I didn't see the friendly from last night against uh, Brentford, so I'm not 100% sure on how he done there. If he even played, I don't know. Um, it's definitely between De Gea and Henderson. I think Henderson edges it. Mm-hmm. I think his, his leadership in, in that, to control the back line, is far superior to De Gea. Rio Ferdinand kind of hinted at it himself, mm-hmm. saying that De Gea is quite quiet. He doesn't talk much. Yeah, I think, and, I think, I think that's yeah. You get you get that feeling from him. You always got that feeling from him. Yeah. You know, yeah, you're right. I mean, and and if you look back at um our kind of best goalkeepers, you know, the ones that we kind of put up as being, you know, the, the kind of the bar mm-hmm. Man United, um, the likes of Schmeichel and Van der Sar, they were massive personalities. Yeah, as much Huge as presence. as yeah. massive guys and massive players. And yeah, and you're right. I think that is a definite weakness of the hey, as he doesn't have that presence. And Henderson furnished to him does have that presence he's a young guy not a lot of experience at the top level but he's got a lot of confidence and that's definitely a positive i have to say yeah yeah because with the hair he at his peak was the best shot stopper i think united have ever had and i I think you can argue you can argue with that but no i don't think anybody could i i I think as a shot stopper he's incredible in terms of controlling a backline and being that captain figure like bruno fernandez is in midfield He's not that. Henderson, I don't know if his shot-stopping ability is up to scratch. You've seen it against Liverpool last season where Salah was one-on-one and he was standing like here and leaving his entire side of his net open. And he's just in the middle and he's just like, you've left your entire front post open and Mane is over the other side. You can see him free and you've just given the guy two options to work with to score. De Gea doesn't do that. No, no, you're totally, totally right, Mafia. I mean, you're. I think you summed it up perfectly at the start. What you said there is that we've got somebody who was elite in De Gea, and we've got somebody who I think has got potential, and they're very, very, very good for the for the experience that they've had, and they've a lot of confidence in Henderson, but they're not quite there just yet. So we're kind of are betwixt and between. There was actually a chat at one stage, um, it might have been on another podcast towards the end of last season, that United had considered selling both of them. Uh, Henderson and De Gea now it looks like they're not going to sell either so that's a complete turnaround from that but the fact that that was even being considered um, kind of just um, explains that, that even the board or, or people who are making those decisions that think the same as you that we've got mm-hmm. a player who's kind of on the decline in De Gea and a player we're not quite sure he's ever going to be that elite level in, mm-hmm. in Henderson um, so it's going to be very interesting to see how it pans out um, definitely 
And that brings me on to what will probably be our last discussion point of the day because uh, this takeover has been a pretty significant takeover. I um, <laughs> hope everybody's enjoyed it so far. I know we, I know the Nugents have definitely enjoyed chatting about it. We could go on for another two hours if, if, <laughs> if we're the time. Uh, but people might be bored listening to it. But uh, yeah, but finally, the last thing is that there's been some changes at that board level making these decisions or, well, perhaps not making the decisions, um, but certainly uh, people with names uh, and titles that, that would make you think that they are making decisions. I'm a, a, a bit of a skeptic in that sense. Um, John Murda coming in as the football director um, and Darren Fletcher as, as a technical director. Um, I guess my first question would be, um, do you think those guys are making the decisions that people with those titles would be making? And if they are, are, are they doing a good job or will they do a good job? Uh. As of right now, I really, I don't know. Patrice Ever talked about it recently and he was pretty much offered the same role that Darren Fletcher ended up with. It. Um, and I, think he was, even, I think even he wasn't the only other one. I think Rio, Rio was offered it, yeah. it as well. And, yeah. Ever came out and said it was pretty much a publicity stunt of a job. Yeah. It wasn't really going to be doing too much. What I'm hearing at the moment is that um, the, the deals that are happening with Sancho and Varane it's actually nothing to do with John Murtha or Darren Fletcher. Okay. Um, they're completely to do with Ed okay. Woodward. Okay. Which is kind of infuriating because... And Matt Judge, potentially? Yeah, well. potentially as well, yeah. There, there's a chance that they're all a wee bit still involved, the, the ones from before. Um, apparently, what I'm hearing is John Murtha and Darren Fletcher are pretty much interning. Okay. They're just sort of... Ed Woodward will do the work and then Darren Fletcher will sit in the corner like a trainee and just watch him selling. Like when you get your first job at 17 in retail and you're like, I'll watch the big boss do the selling here. I'll do it, Matthew. Not a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's just what we did. <laughs> but that's that's what I'm hearing from it. So in the long run, it could be good and that Darren Fletcher will come in and be able to embrace the culture. He's a man that knows the club and he's learned from Ed Woodward who, if we're being honest, is very good with money. We've he's a banker, it's what he does. He's good with money. Unfortunately, it's kind of annoying for us because we didn't get those Cristiano Ronaldo type signings that Real Madrid were getting off of us. Yeah. Um, it's infuriating, but it is what it is. He's very good with money. So if Fletcher learns that bit and uses his experience of the club, it's a very good combination. As of right now, skeptical, especially with the fact that Nicky Butt pretty much left the club due to John Murtagh getting that job. Yeah. Um which worries me more than more than anything when an inside guy like Nicky Butt, who's a club legend, he's been at the club for yeah. for decades, yeah. um, isn't happy with that sort of decision. Is it is it petty from him because he wanted that role, or is it because he knows better for the club? Yeah. I, I really don't know. Yeah, no, it's an interesting point. You know, you raise you raise an interesting point. Um, and I mean, obviously, Edward was actually uh, hanging the. I was going to say hanging the boots up. He's not hanging <laughs> hanging the the shirt and tie up. I've never put a pair of boots on his life. <laughs> exactly. Whatever, hang up, whatever he's hanging up. Yeah. Um, and he's going to go. So things are going to change. And I mean, I don't know if you've heard any. I haven't personally heard anything about uh, how the, what restructuring is going to be done there when he goes or how it's going to work. Um, so, yeah, I haven't any any information about that. But, Not um, for myself. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but it's interesting. So the final thing that I just want to mention, um, and I'm a wee bit biased here um, because uh, I have a bit of an interest in it. I, I recently or semi-recently joined up as a member of MUST, so the Man United Supporters Trust. Okay. Um, quite, quite proud to be a member of that, I have to say. Um, and it was great to see their very heavily involvement after the, uh, the European Super League uh, debacle. They were very heavily involved in negotiating with the club and taking part in the government review and mm -hmm. um, you know, sort of protesting. That. I thought that was a great thing. Um, and uh, they have actually just become uh, part of a fan share scheme or sorry sorry they're proposing a fan share scheme um and they've uh, taken part in the fans forum uh which uh, the glazers um have said that they're going to engage with on a, on a more regular basis and they engage with it once um i don't know if you know much about that mafia or if, if you think uh, those are good things going forward or, or how you feel about you know these wider kind of discussions about fan share schemes and restructuring kind of english football in general um how, how do you feel about those uh, types I'm, of I'm I'm a fan of that that style from from a business perspective as well because it, it gets as we talked about with the, the Edward Word Darren Fletcher thing it's a if you can get a mix of both of where you have that banker level where it keeps the club stable and we don't end up like Leeds or like Arsenal where you crumble away and fall down because of bad business acquisitions um, and then you have the club level 
like a Darren Fletcher. If you have that, like you look at it as the 50 plus one, you have the bankers, which is the unfortunately the Glazers, which are your big money boys. And then you have the, the club guys like Darren Fletcher. If you have that, it's a supporter. That's what Darren Fletcher is. Yeah. And I think if you look at it from that perspective, it works a treat in Germany. Yeah. It really does, unless you're... I mean, it seems to. Yeah, I mean, the, result, the results speak for themselves. You know, the mm-hmm. pencil, nothing else. You know, Bayern Munich and Dortmund are very successful clubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, excluding Rebel, or sorry, Rasenball Sport Leipzig. Apart from them, well, obviously. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah well, they're, they're more in the mode of the current model anyways, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah, no, I, th- I think what you're saying is right. Um, yeah, yeah, so there's talked about the fan share scheme, if it ever goes ahead. Mm-hmm. It will actually give uh, people who buy those shares the same voting rights as the Glazers themselves. So they seem to be a very, very good. Um, they seem to be a good thing in in theory. Yeah. Uh, I think that the um, uh, the English government and um, clubs are working with sort of experts in the area, like mm-hmm. you say, those knowledgeable bankers and people that got to sort of explore um, explore these options. But uh, yeah, but I just thought it would be remiss not to mention uh, these things because you know, obviously, uh, what we do in football is we have quite a short memory. You know, and when something bad happens. Uh, after a while something good happens like the signing of Sancho and Varane and you very quickly you know tend to sort of forget a little bit about bit about those things but those mm-hmm. those things are still going on in the background and I'm glad glad to hear that they are and like I say the uh, most Man United supporters at uh, trust are at the forefront of that so I uh, just wanted to give a wee shout out to them as well um, so it's all good yeah so I think Matthew will probably have to wrap it up um, if we stay on any longer Kyle will worry that we're actually going to take over um, the podcast <laughs> all together rather than tonight um so it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you um yes, good to see you as always you're, look, you're looking great and uh um life's, life's good um so yeah i hope you're well and uh, it's been an absolute pleasure so hope to have you on again yes 100 love to be back on again yeah good man take All care right. cheers buddy see you later thank you, thank you.